Better to have a short life that is full of what you like doing than a long life spent in a miserable way. All right, all right, all right. Before we get started today, we just wanted to say welcome to the club. Footwork.club is now live, the official footwork website where you can find all the footwork content, including some new features. That's right. Along with our podcast and guests, you can find exclusive written articles, including blogs about our own stories, free products that can help with chasing the dream, as well as our first official merch. All that and more. So join the club. All right, today we have a special guest uh, also joining us from Germany. So we have, it was nice with the times, worked out today. Um, but we have Mark Dillon from the Talent Project here. We just want to say thanks for coming on and joining the club. Oh, thank you. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Us too. Now, our motto here at Footwork is make your own path, essentially uh, to follow your dream, not be held to the normal roots. And what does your making your own path mean to you? Uh, well, I think that's, that's kind of synonymous with... Uh, taking the path less followed mm. and uh you know a lot of people follow a traditional route particularly as you know we come out of the american culture where it's 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 based on club school college then maybe you get a shot at the pros and i think that that well that works really well in, in our sports culture in in general for you know basketball baseball and, and everything more traditionally american it, it doesn't work for soccer and I think that uh, when players are willing to kind of take, if they're really driven, let's put it that way, if they're really, really driven and they say, look, I want to get really, really good at something, I'm willing to do something unusual, then there's no alternative to kind of breaking away from the, from the pack and trying something unusual and different. And Europe is unusual and different. Yeah, 100%. Now, why? I mean, I guess we're getting right off to a bang start here, but why do you think it is that it doesn't work? in the u.s for soccer you know we have these sports basketball baseball where we produce the best athletes is it more because we we play these sports more than the rest of the world or what, what would your opinion be on it well I, I think in the development continuum that we're much farther ahead in in uh you know basketball baseball american football we're getting there in soccer but we, you know we're not there we're not there yet because if you look at the college game for example you know and i was a former college coach myself you know, you get your 15 to 20 games in the fall, you play what, a two, two and a half week preseason, and then you're done. And now you have restrictive rules that uh, say you get a, a spring season with, I think it's six dates, which is a joke. And then you have your summer. So you, it's, it's just not adequate. The sheer volume of training is, is, is wholly inadequate for what we need to do in order to really develop the top level. Yeah. Yeah, totally. You lose so much time in those college years, which are really important years, especially here in Europe when you're 17 to 21, 22. That's when big things happen for a lot of players. And yeah, throughout the four years of college, Dylan and I both played there. You're basically getting one year, one full season, 12 months of playing because as us, we went to D3 spring season and almost what did we train for twice a week twice for a week six and weeks two, and then two games, two games. And over four months yeah, or something like this? It's time you can't get back. And, you know, I've, I've, I've said that or something I kind of discovered myself that Americans are generally three, anywhere from two to four years younger in European years than their counterparts over here. Because over here, they get that there's so much more intensity at an early age, you get many more games, more training sessions. And, and plus, I think there's a certain osmosis from that comes from 
being in this environment, as you guys are discovering yourself, you're here, you're around football all the time and you got the games and people talking about it. And there's mm -hmm. just a, you know, there's something that, 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 that uh, kind of, you kind of absorb just being in the environment that, that we miss in the United States. We're getting there, we're getting there, but we're still, I think we're still gen a generation away. I don't think I'll ever go though to an Aldi in the U.S. and see a tabloid magazine with uh, Lewandowski on it and what club he's going to pick next. That was one. That's one thing that's just like, I mean, you said it perfectly. It was just the culture you're surrounded in it day by day. Um, it's just unmatched, I guess. It, it just, yeah, it has a big effect on your motivation and your, you know, you can, you can call that environmental reinforcement, I suppose, but it's a, it's a, it's a really important aspect of the development. And, you know, you see sometimes players that, you know, for, back from my generations, when you had players like uh, John Harks and Claudia Reyna, they would go on and play a couple of years of college and they would still manage to make it to the top leagues in Europe. Uh, but you have to wonder what would have happened if they could have gone over at 15 or 14 or what, you know, whatever it is, or, or, or much younger. And, uh, and I think they would probably have their own opinions about that, which support what we're talking about now. Absolutely. Before we transfer our transition into the, um, into the talent project, you did say that your years are, I forget the phrasing that you said, but you're two years younger, three years younger as an American when you come to Europe. Um, I'm just hoping that that pays off because as a 28 year old, I'm hoping to uh, keep my career going for a few extra years. Well, let's put it this way. You probably have less wear and tear on your body. And as you get older, I think your ability to absorb and, and really start to understand the tactical nuances becomes better mm -hmm. uh, with that experience. So, you know, again, I think, you know, getting a, and you see this a lot of times in the MLS also, a lot of players that come out, they're, they're young, they, they're, they look kind of naive and a little bit awkward and their, their play isn't that quick. And all of a sudden about 27, 28, 29, they're getting picked for the national team. And then people are, are comparing them to where they were in the beginning years of MLS. They say, oh, what are they picking these guys for? But they've evolved. They've gotten a lot better. Dax McCarty is a perfect example of that. Yeah. A very good player who, you know, he came in quite strong in MLS, but, uh, you know, he was well into his 20s before he was starting to get any notice for the national team. And, and he was a very good player, but uh, he was entirely different from in his later 20s, as which is, I guess, is relatively normal, but in, in his later 20s and in his, in his earlier when he was trying to make his debut in the MLS. Yeah. And um, before we get into the talent project, can you give us a bit of history uh, on yourself, your playing career, um, where you grew up, a little bit of a background of yourself? Well, I grew up in San Francisco, which is, uh, you know, like New York, Chicago and other cosmopolitan areas. It had a long history of soccer. In fact, a semi-pro league since, since 1906. So I was kind of in a fortunate area where, um, you know, I could grow up and I, as it happened, I attached to a German club relatively early. I was relatively early. I was 16 and there was a semi-pro club there called Concordia San Francisco. And wow. they, they saw me out kicking the ball one day out in the local park, having one of the directors of the club and he invited me to training. And I think I was 16 at the time, but he brought me in and that was a, a big help but uh, you know I went to the University of San Francisco and I played there uh, at a time when they were the powerhouse in, in American college soccer and this was a different time because um, the, the college soccer wasn't so restrictive and so you, we had a really good semi-pro league there 
and guys could make a little bit of pocket money on the, on the weekend playing. And so you, you might make, uh, you know, you play your 18, 20 games of college ball. And then the, the following week, you're signed with one of the top clubs in the area and you can make 25 or 30 bucks a game, which doesn't seem like much, but for four bucks, you could fill up your can, your tank, uh, your car, you could fill up the tank in your car and, and a six pack of beer was 99 cents. So <laughs> yeah, levels. Yeah. So that was that. So I got drafted. I left, I left college early. I got drafted by the earthquakes, played there a bit. Um, and then with the, also with the Seattle Sounders. Uh, but was, what was extremely formative for me was that uh, in between that, in between that time, I spent th uh, three years in England. I left, I got fed up with soccer in, uh, in the United States and I wanted something more. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have uh, the, 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 all the soccer channels and stuff like that. You had soccer made of Germany one hour a week on Friday night, which was a massive hit. Uh, and then you had occasionally an English game on TV, but there, I wanted more. And I said, the, the only way I'm going to get it is to get the hell out of here. So I had a one-way ticket and I went off to England and I played there for, for three years. I ended up getting coaching licenses and things like that. But, uh, you know, I started at a semi-pro level and ended up with Wrexham in the English League. And, uh, and uh, that was a, a massive experience for me because as, as we, we were talking about earlier, it's a different world. You get in there and the, the, a, the play is faster. It's a lot tougher. The demands are a lot higher, but it's not just, it's just, it's not just what happens on the field. It's off the field where you're around football all the time and you're talking about it and, and everybody's got an opinion about something, but the conversations can go all night long about a game that happened last weekend. And yeah. that's, yeah, you just eat that with a spoon because you love the game and you want more of it. So, so that was that was kind of a general background on me. Then I evolved into coaching, or from player coach on to coaching and professional management, and so on and so forth. So, you know, I probably touched just about every level in the U.S. Uh, both as from the standpoint of what happens on the field as a player, as a coach, and as a manager, as a um, as an executive, as a team owner. Uh, and uh, even as an agent uh, representing doing contract advisory for a few players. So, you know, the background has been fairly deep and wide and it's kind of led me to where I am right now with the talent project. Quite amazing how many, how many, you know, hands you have in this game, different places, different types of roles in this. I just want to come back to um, just the time in, in England, just coming over to England. We talk a lot about adapting on this podcast and kind of, I mean, I can only imagine the stigma American player must have had in this time coming to England. So how did you deal with that in terms of, you know, trying to prove yourself in a, in a place where Americans weren't proven yet? And then also just adapting to the cultures and the specific soccer um, style. <laughs> well, I think I was impervious to the pressure because I was too stupid to know that I was under the spotlight. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good I, thing, though. You know, I I got a lot of publicity when I first started out because I really was a uh, an outlier, an American coming over here. The Americans said, "Yanks don't know anything about football," um, and uh, so yes, I was under the microscope for for quite a bit. I, you know, I think I was an okay player. I certainly wouldn't have rated myself terribly exceptionally, but good enough to get over there. And um, the, the the pressure was. No, I didn't really feel an awful lot of pressure. I was so busy absorbing everything that it was almost like a kid out in the forest or something like that. I was just 
I was in wonder of everything and I just wanted to live the dream. So that's kind of what I was doing. And I bring this to today with um, the talent project. Now, what is the talent project? Well, the talent project is is designed, it was designed to uh, give young American players access to Europe at a time when FIFA law otherwise prevented it. And I've worked with a few players in the past, like Len Donovan and, and Bobby Wood, getting them into the European system as young TNF and several others besides, but they were more of the high profile ones. And, um, and then 2009, FIFA came in and they just passed a blanket regulation saying anybody under the age of 18 is completely restricted from uh, international transfers. And so uh, I had, by that time, even by 09, I had a lot of experience bringing American players in and all of a sudden it stopped. And, and there, there was a rather, um, I would say it was almost like a road to Damascus impact on the players that they come in, you know, they would come in and even if they said, you can't stay, but you can only, but we'll get you in for a couple of weeks, they would be completely changed. They said, my God, now I have a little bit of, of a comparative data. I know what it's like over here now, and I know what I have back home. And now I understand why the guys over here are so much better. And so, um, and so there was terribly frustrating this, the fact that we could no longer get guys in, even if they were the most talented player on the planet, they weren't, they had no access to Europe because the FIFA laws were onerous, extremely strict, and there was no flexibility on that. So um, I created a talent project as a study abroad program. And um, through that, I could get young Americans into Europe and then around that, I constructed a Bundesliga uh, player protocol development system, where basically we're a Bundesliga academy without the, uh, the attachment to a club. But the players come in, they're learning the language, they're developing the, the cultural agility that they need. Um, they're understanding the tactical nuances, which you guys understand is, is night and day from what they're exposed to. They're exposed to a much faster game, a much more physical game in a different kind of way. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they're also developing um, a kind of an inner steel that is also required for living and playing abroad. And, and this is a really important element of this uh, because, you know, for every Claudio Reyna or, uh, yeah, Claudio Reyna or Gio Reyna and Pulisic and Josh Sargent and Tyler Ab, so on and so forth, that we're reading about, there's, there's 40 that nobody knows about that came in that may be super talented but they didn't last long and they've gone home. And why is that? What, where, what, what prevents them? Well, they, maybe they come in and they have homesickness and they have jet lag and the food is different. The weather is different. The style of play is different. They're living in a hotel room or a guest house or something like that. And all these things conspire against someone that might not have, you know, maybe they don't have quite the, the, the flexibility or the strength or the mental strength or the emotional strength or whatever it is to withstand that. And this is pulling away from their talent. And so they're, now they're going, they're trying to succeed and they, they wouldn't be there if they weren't serious about really trying to succeed, but there's certain things that they have to mitigate. And particularly if they're going into a particularly high level club, and so I thought, okay, you can create, we create the talent project. One, we can get them in earlier and we can start to develop. And two, you can give them a little bit of a ramp up into Europe. So you don't have these talent killers weighing on them quite so heavily when their chance comes. 
So they're learning the language, they're developing understanding about the culture, they're understanding the, the, the cultural nuances of, uh, of uh, living there, they're understanding more about the weather and how to conduct themselves as a professional. And it becomes very, very normal in their lives. And so when they do get a trial, professional trial, they can go into a dressing room, they know how to talk, they know how to understand the, the coaches. And, and most importantly, they feel comfortable in that environment. So their chances for success goes way up so um so we've done this now we're recruiting for our fourth cohort now fourth year we have several pros that have gone in and uh they've gone gotten pro before their 18th birthday uh some have you know what was it real, what was really designed as a one-year run has really turned into a much longer proposal for these guys but we've had much more success than we would have projected in the very beginning. And I think that that shows that uh, what we're trying to prove here as part of what we're trying to prove is that it, uh, there's no difference in talent between Americans and Germans or Americans and Brazilians. Or, there's no difference whatsoever. It's the environment. And so if we can all agree that we come from a less developed environment, but we have the same level of talent, and we can bring these players into the, the into that and give them the same advantages, bring them into that same sort of environment. When these kids are hungry, they start to narrow that gap pretty quick. Three or four months later, all of a sudden, you see a completely different player. Hmm. And that's the transformation that we're trying to prove that is possible for American players. Give them the necessary, feed them the right uh, information, feed them the right environment, and watch what happens with American kids. It's really exciting. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I, I can only imagine the, the experience. We, we talk a lot about it on this podcast as well, just the importance of getting out of your comfort zone to learn. You know, you can't grow in the comfort of, you know, your, even at this age of your, of your schools and of your regular training, you can grow, but the acceleration that a program like this can have. So what kind of things are you doing to help the, the players adapt? Because I know it must be tough for them at a young age to kind of deal with the homesicknesses, the, the, you know, not seeing the friends or some of the pressure that might come along with it, where they think they have to produce because they're going to a program like this and playing in front of big coaches potentially. So how do you, how do you kind of ease them into this adaption? Well, I mean, they're, they're surrounded by other Americans, which helps a lot. You know, you're not throwing them into the deep end, but it, what's really important is that, particularly with young players, if, if they don't feel safe, if, if they're not happy, they can't learn. It's just, it's just a basic learning fact. And so we have to create an environment where they are happy. We create do a lot of things to, uh, to build team spirit. And uh, they find that they can lean on each other. They can depend on each other when if things are not good, they, you know, they've, they've got these friends. All of a sudden, they're not just friends, they're brothers. And uh, that has an enormous impact on um, their ability to adapt and not feel alone. And they start to have fun. They can, you see how their, their body language is when they're walking to the field or when they're in the dining hall and they're laughing and they're having conversations and stuff like that. That means they're settling in and you have guys. Then on the other hand, if you see some guy that's, you know, he's isolating, he's socially isolated, he's, he's kind of keeping himself away from the group, he's eating alone, he's got that sad look on his face. You have to have an intervention on that. You're not going to have a player that's, that's going to be able to learn in that. And there's been several American players we've encountered that just completely resisted 
the adaption process and the, and because of even with extraordinary talent they couldn't make it and how do you create the uh bundesliga academy environment without having players that grew up in this country well that starts with your technical staff uh, you know you you have to have people that understand what that means and so we have you know we have uh, 15 coaches full-time here on campus uh, three of which are dedicated to us and have all been attached to Bundesliga clubs. And so they, they have that understanding, that environment. And then the, you know, the head coach basically spells out the, you know, this is a training plan. This is the objective of the training plan. This is what we're trying to get for the, for the players to absorb. And so we have a plan that, that runs from the first day all the way to the last day over 11 months. And, um, and we push for very high standards and, um, the intensity, the, the, the program, the training is intense. The physicality is intense on the field. It's not for everybody, uh, but they, we run this the same way that, that we would want to see our guys at Bayer Leverkusen or at, if they were got a trial at, at, at Red Bull or Salzburg or at uh, Bayern Munich or Schalke or Gladbach or whatever it is. We try to replicate that environment and, and that intensity has to be there every single training session. Can you speak just that you mentioned Bayer Leverkusen. I know you have a history with um, with big clubs like Leverkusen. I was fortunate to play them in the DFB Pokal game. Unfortunately, we got thrashed. But I mean, you just kind of see the levels of this game in, in terms of movement and things like this. So what is it in your background that you've been able to pull from, you know, these teams and working with these teams to bring into the talent project? Well, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a student of the game. I'm a lifelong learner and I, I, I take notes everywhere I go and I want to know, you know, what works and what doesn't work and what can I adapt. But all along the way, I'm accumulating knowledge of what it's like. And, and one thing that I have absolutely learned is that when you're in a special place, in a special club, you feel it the minute you walk in. You know, it's like, a, it's like this, this aura that you get. There's something here. There's something different about Leverkusen versus going to FC Cologne, for example, and that's nothing against FC Cologne because I also love that club, but, but there is a difference. There's just a difference. And, and one has set its sights on being a, a European power and another one's just happy to be in the Bundesliga, which is also very, very good. And Leverkusen, of course, had, you know, was able to develop itself and grow itself with the financial support of one of the, maybe the biggest pharmaceutical company in the world. And so they had the financial resources and they needed the financial resources to do what they were doing. But, um, um, you know, I've worked with IX in the past and, and uh, with 1860 Munich, who have one of the best uh, academies in, in Germany uh, over, the, over the last 20 years. And, uh, and, but everywhere I go, I'm taking notes and it's how the people conduct themselves. How do the coaches conduct themselves? Even how the groundskeepers conduct themselves. You know, how do the people act when they're answering the telephones? How do the people act uh, that are washing the clothes? Everything is important. And at a great club, at a top level club, everybody is working at the very highest level and everybody understands their role and the success of the organization. And this is why it's so important when you have an organization we, we want to duplicate that you know i've i don't want mediocre performers we just don't want them because that just brings mediocrity into the entire program so we're always looking to to build yeah. better so bringing that excellence into the town project what are some of the main themes that you pass on to the players in terms of how they conduct themselves how on and off the field really um you know how they approach trials how they approach 
speaking to new teammates or coaches and just trying to pursue that excellence? What are some of those things that you pass on to the players? Well, I think it all starts with accountability that, uh, you know, we're dealing with people here, but, you know, they have to understand that, you know, there's a saying that a good player picks himself. And, you know, we, we tell the guys, look, if you really want to be in the starting lineup, it's up to you this week in training to write your name in the lineup. And, uh, and if you don't, and don't come to us because you're deciding your position in the team by your performance. And what does that mean? That means every single training session, every single opportunity you have to present yourself, you got to be spot on. You got to be fully, fully concentrated. You got to be switched on all the time. And so they, they start to understand that there's no, the only easy day was yesterday. And uh, so you have to be, you have to be on point, but it's not just it's not just that it's there's a lot of little things that we insist upon how they take care of their equipment making sure that they greet the coaches before they show up and or other people that are might be there on the sidelines to watch make sure you greet them and make sure you say thank you and say goodbye at the end of a training session these are just manners but it indicates a level of professionalism that you'll always see at top clubs always you always deal with it. young germans are particularly good at this but i've seen this also with the dutch and the french uh, that they are very fastidious about manners and how you conduct yourself in a professional way. And we have to make sure that we are always, always looking for professional habits, both on and off the field. And how do you filter through or select um, young players to join the talent project? Because I would imagine it's tough to find the right, the right player with the right mentality in the right space. Um, yeah, that's willing to make the jump at such a young age. Well, we're not always right, but we try to be. Um, and you're right about that. Um, we do. We, first of all, you have to have the talent. And so we, you know, we do the best we can to say, is this the sort? It doesn't have to necessarily be the best player, because sometimes, you know, you've, you've probably heard our, our comments about whispering talent. Sometimes mm-hmm. there's something about a player that he's not necessarily standing up, but you're, you're, you're seeing something there. And if we can identify that and think there's a lot of potential here that's untapped, then we might, then we'll take, we'll go to the next step. Because now we're looking for intelligence because you have to be a really good learner. You got to love to learn and you got to be a good learner. And uh, secondly, we look for character and character is about having the steel and mental strength to, to endure when things outside their comfort zone and also adapt with other people in a stressful environment. Personality is extremely important. That, that manifests itself on the field and off the field. On the field, of course, you want some guy that's, you know, that's, that's there, is present. You know, he's bubbling around. He's looking for the ball. He's talking to his teammates. But off the field, you also want someone that's welcoming to his teammates and who's not bringing negative vibes into the dressing room or, or you're talking bad about his teammates or bullying and stuff like that. There's no room in our organization for that. And so we sift through this with, a, with profiles and the players fill out a profile that tells us a little bit about how they think and see the world. You know, it takes them about an hour or two, an hour and a half to complete it. And there are a few landmines inserted in that that we look for. Um, but uh, and so, and then we do an interview. We interview the family, the parents, and the player. And we, uh, if we think this is the right player, then we, we, we finalize it with one simple question. Is this a young player that we want to see every day? And if the answer is, I don't know, uh, this is going to be a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't want the kid. 
And it could be any level of talent. I mean, you could be like, wow, this kid's really talented. This kid is going to be high maintenance. He's going to be a pain in the ass. No, we don't want him. So yeah, that relationship between talent and then just having the, I guess the mental willpower, just also adapting to your surroundings and things like this is one. Is, sometimes you could argue they're equally as important. How do you use, I guess, the advantage, the advantage, the advantages, sorry, of uh, an American athlete? Because Sean and I have both experienced um, many German clubs like the the mindset of an American player and their their will to win, also their speed or their athleticism, um, agility, things like this that we learn from playing multiple sports, I think, also the sport culture in America. How do you kind of cultivate that and use it to the advantage of an American player making the jump into Germany? I don't think we have any physical advantages in terms of speed or agility or anything. I think they're, they're pretty much the same. They might even be a little bit ahead in many respects over here because they get that they're in, they're indoctrinated in that a lot, in, in a lot earlier age. But I think that the thing that, that stands out most with uh, the certain people here that are evaluating is they love the American spirit and positivity. And I've heard one national player say that they think that the Americans have an optimism gene. And uh, so that, you know, even when we're three, nothing down or four, nothing down, we're still, we're still there fighting. Let's, if it's four, nothing down, let's, let's try to make it four to one. And if we make it four to one, let's try to make it four to two, but let's wait till the last whistle before we stop. And they bring a level of enthusiasm to the dressing room and to the training field. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't be in Germany if they didn't have that. You know, in, in most cases, you see, I've got a few guys that, that somebody probably made a mistake in bringing over, but um, I, I think that the American uh, mentality is really, really good. And especially, you know, some of these clubs are looking for something different. You know, there's so many good players over here that if you don't have something different that they don't already have, they're not going to be interested in you. And so a lot of times that difference is what you bring uh, character-wise, attitude-wise to the team, positivity in the dressing room and, and on the training field and in the field. And there's just something that, that lifts the team. So I think that's probably our greatest asset at this mm -hmm. point. What are the opposite end of that? What are some disadvantages that you see American players have or maybe bad habits they have? I think I, I, what I've observed over the years is that Americans have trouble concentrating for the whole time. They generally, they tend to switch off. It's like this specialized ADD that we <laughs> seem to have. It's like, you know, they're in the game and they're wandering about all of a sudden, you know, they're all of a sudden they just switched off. Mm. And uh, it's not because they're, uh, it's not anything genetic or biologic. I don't think it is. Maybe it is in some cases, but you know, I think that a lot of times we're brought up in an environment where if you're really, really good, the chances are you're dominating a lot of games back home. And very often you get three, three, nothing or four, nothing. If you realize that you don't have to be at hundred percent in order to win this game. So you, even if it's psychologically or, you know, subconsciously, a lot of times they dial back. And so you're even a training, maybe train, you're a really exceptional player and it's easy to be successful on the training field as well as on the game you're probably not giving a thousand percent effort or at least 200 percent effort mm -hmm. and uh, so that can result in uh, i guess that you could call it a cultural deficiency in many respects they're not learning that they have to be switched on for first minute to last so that's one deficiency and then of course we play slower sometimes we run fast maybe we run faster but play slower 
And, you know, sometimes you see guys running around like blue ass flies and then they say, hey, slow down a little bit, guys. <laughs> slow down a little bit. Let's think faster, but run slower. Okay. Mm, yeah. Yeah. No, I like that a lot. Um, the great quote too. Um, so for, so for a lot of our listeners, um, a lot are, you know, indoctrinated in, in the youth club setup, either in semi-pro setups, you know, coaching, things like this. So from your experience, can you just talk a little bit about the youth club setup in Germany, I guess, in terms of maybe foundation, key differences you see, and then some advice of how clubs back in the U.S. can kind of take things and apply specifically even right now? Well, we're getting better in the United States. and There's a lot of really smart people that are helping to move the game forward. And so I, I think that, you know, I don't think we're that far behind. You know, and I and I've had an argument with some of our coaches over here that I think by the time our U8s become U19s, we might just be passing you guys because we've got so many good athletes and we're devote, devoting a lot of financial resources to the game, which helps a lot. O over here, though, they're brought up in a system that's clearly vertically integrated. And so you've got kids that enter into a club and there's a very clear pathway from each age group leading up to the first team. And that creates an entirely different mindset. And we don't have that yet. I know they're trying to, to, to create that, but even you know, MLS, they started to, to go vertically downwards and then they abandoned that. And I think we've got that wrong. Mm. You know, they're, they're spending a lot of their efforts in under 19s or 18s and 17s and probably down to the 15s, but then they're forgetting about the younger age groups when this, that's the most important time is when they're developing this technical foundation and the romance for the game that are, is also critical to, to fuel their motivation later on. So I, I think that's probably one area where we're not really getting it right yet, if, if we're talking about professional development. But we're, we're getting better. And I think it's what's really exciting for us as Americans is that knowing that we're hosting the World Championships, the World Cup in 2026, you can absolutely bet there's going to be an enormous amount of education resources and financial resources poured into the game to prepare for that. And, and I've saw that I, I saw this prior to the 1994 World Cup, by the way, when all of a sudden people started paying attention and more resources started to come in. People started taking it seriously. Uh, but I think the, the, the lead up to 2026 is going to be really, really exciting. And it's going to have a, um, a sea change effect on the environment in the United States. So, so we'll see a lot more of that vertical, that, that vertical uh, yeah. development, vertical integration of teams and head on up the ladder. Yeah. It is, it is uh, interesting you say that too, because I felt, I think it was the 2010 World Cup, I felt um, that there was another surge of followers of the game or now they're more interested in the game um and i feel like every every world cup obviously we need to make the world cup but i feel like that does push the push the envelope a bit more um in the u.s but one thing here that is kind of tough to replicate in the u.s is that there are so many football clubs soccer clubs and you know the talent is found a lot easier where in the u.s if you live in the middle of nowhere it's tough to be seen um and the, the, the country itself is so massive that I feel like there's a lot of players that slip through the cracks or they play other sports. That's also one thing we're competing against ourselves in the U.S. is that you can have an incredible athlete, but he goes and plays basketball or football, where here they would go right into soccer. Well, I think you're right about that. One of the things that we discovered uh, with, with uh, trying to do talent discovery with IAX was that um, the United States is not a country, it's a continent. 
and you have different cultures and different weather conditions. And you talk about being in the Northeast, come try to compare that soccer wise to being in the Southwest mm. or the Northwest to the Southeast. And, you know, and, and there's everything in between. You have Latin influences, you got European influences, you got the, you know, the uh, uh, Midwestern all American influences and you've got everything in between. And so it's, uh, it's, it is, it is difficult, but you know, you see the same problems over here, really. And you, even at IAX, you, you think that, well, okay, it was really simple. They're going to, everyone's going to automatically be drawn in, in, in the Amsterdam area into IAX, but that's not the case at all. They had to fight against all the other clubs also that, oh, we had a really good 11 year old over there. Oh, you don't go to IAX, you stay with us. No, so why wouldn't I want to go to IX? <laughs> but yeah. they're still fighting the, the the battle, and IX ends up having to pay the. Okay, we'll pay you for the kid, but just bring him over here because we want him in the, in the program. Fortunately, they can do that. But but uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it, you know it, it, this is an evolutionary uh, uh, process that we're watching, and you know I'm going back to where there were so few youth clubs in the United States and very few opportunities for Amer almost no opportunities. Uh, in fact, when I first formed the Orlando Lions in, in 19, started in 1985 with that, we didn't even have a professional league. <laughs> no, there wasn't even a league in the United States to play, you know, and, you know, so I, I was kind of mirroring some guys in the West Coast that had similar visions at Seattle and Portland and San Jose and a couple other places where they said, we'll, we'll just make our own competitions because our really good players need to play. Mm. And so now you look at it and, you know, I remember, you know, we're talking about evolution here, but I, you know, we, we had the U.S. women resident in Orlando for uh, several years through two World Cups and an Olympic gold medal. And I remember them playing at a high school stadium against Denmark, I think it was. And look, this, this is two of the top five teams in the entire planet. And there was maybe 1,500 people. They had to beg people to come watch the women play. You know, and nowadays everything's changed. And now, you know, look, look what we have in America now. We have all these leagues and we have all these stadiums. We have all these training centers and, and the coaching environment has changed. And you got double pass coming in as a third party analysis for, for clubs to say, you know, how is your training organized? And how are your coaches trained? How is your administration done? How are your facilities managed? How is your medical system managed? And they're bringing all this knowledge in, which is kind of lifting the entire environment for the United States. It's, it's really exciting. Yeah, definitely. Amen. Always growing. Um, we kind of spoke on it just in terms of the, the vertical way in which the U.S. club is oriented. I mean, the American system without promotion and relegation gets talked about a lot. Um, what do you feel like the effect is, one, on the talent and growth of the, of the players, but also just having a strong second, third, fourth league like you would see in Germany and in other countries as well? Well, I think that's a really good point. Um, you, the quality of a soccer nation isn't defined by its, its highest level. Mm. It's defined by the average player. And when you have average players that are really, really good, you, you bet you're the guys at the top are at a super high level. You can go anywhere and you know, guys, you know yourself. If you look at a sixth or seventh league game in Germany, they're not bad players at all. And then the same would go for England or the Netherlands or Belgium or Spain, what have you. Um, but, uh, the, the, uh, the profession, the, the, 
I think I've lost my train of thought here, guys. <laughs> it's too, uh, it's too much of a topic. It's too deep. <laughs> it's not the first time this has ever happened, by the way. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you you see it throughout Germany, though. I mean, there is there's there's so much structure in terms of where a club can look and can grow, and then you can have the youth players look up to this system and see, okay, they are promoting themselves. You know, these are the players that I can aspire to be i think it is a one a, a very big thing for the culture but also for the mindset of a young player yeah they call it uh, environmental reinforcement and, that, and that's a huge huge element that um that is so important because it's, it's so motivating for the young players to want to be like the bigger guys mm-hmm. and you know and I, i'll give you an example of that at, at Bayer leverkusen at the youth academy they have in the buildings they have the dressing rooms, if you come into the building, you got under under eights, then under tens, twelves, fourteens, sixteens, seventeens, and nineteens. And the last dressing room and the biggest dressing room for is the under nineteens, which is just before you go off into the training uh, complex area, right? Mm-hmm. Well, this is designed because they want the little guys to walk past the older dressing rooms on the way out. Interesting. And they want to walk them to walk past them on the way back in. And so there, this isn't this isn't random. This is there, there's a purpose for that. But but yeah, I think you 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 bring a great point up there that you know that that environmental reinforcement is absolutely critical. And it's not just that's one example of it. But having a clubhouse where you, where you go and you know you see the club flags everywhere and you see the standings everywhere. And then you see the older guys coming in and the nice training kits and the stadium. And even if it's a, a, a small stadium for the fifth or sixth league, which can be very, very nice, by the way, compared to what we have at home, um, you know, that's, that's, this is all environmental reinforcement. It has such a big impact on, on a young player's motivation. And what about, um, so you're bringing young players over and giving them a, an incredible experience uh, very far away from home, most likely their first time away from home. Mm-hmm. What are the advantages of that? Well, they're getting something that can't be replicated in the United States, for one. They're, they have, either they're going to have the strength to, to thrive, and I mean they have to thrive, uh, even when they don't know they're thriving, but, and, but they're learning, and but they're outside their comfort area, and they're having to reach. And this is really, really critical for their development. And, uh, and so they, they get the environmental reinforcement, they get the football culture, they get uh, to play these other, you know, we, 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 what, ha- what do you think it's like for them when they play against FC Bayern and they go to a $70 million complex or they go to Red Bull Salzburg? And I said, can it possibly get any better than that? No, it can't, it just can't. And so they're seeing, the, and, and not only that, but they're seeing these teams that they're playing against. And we're playing against some of these these um, uh, this Bundesliga academy teams where the players are technically perfect, they're athletic, they're tactically astute, so they can they can make tactical adjustments on the fly within the game without the coach having to direct them and pull the strings and stuff like that. And they run like jackrabbits. And so you know you they're, they're playing against these guys, and you know so every week they're seeing this and in order for them to aspire to, to get to the, to be able to close the gap, they have to reach those levels. Mm-hmm. 
So they're reaching, they're reaching all the time. When in training, we're reaching. And as soon as we start to get a little bit comfortable, ah, they're almost there. Let's raise the bar again. Now they got to keep reaching and they, they're uncomfortable again. And they're reaching. Now they're starting to, no, they're starting to get it. Boop, let's raise the bar again. So they're always having to stretch themselves. And that's what develops players, but they don't get that in the United States because we're too competition oriented. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great point. I actually was going to segue into this as well is that maybe it's a human fault, but maybe it's even more of an American fault where we like to measure success in terms of especially numbers or in terms of you getting the contract. I would imagine as many as with as many success stories as you've had, there's more failure stories. And, uh, you know, we've heard you on other podcasts and Sean and I don't like the word failure as much because the opportunity you can grow from, you can learn from. So even when you don't get something, you learn so much from it. So how do you kind of bring that into your players mentality that it is not all about getting the contract, um, but it's about the learning experience and then taking that to grow as a player and as a person? Oh, that's a super question. Uh, I think it's easier to convince the players than it is the parents. (laughs) Really? Okay. Because a lot of times, you know, I've had had a couple of parents say, well, if he doesn't get picked up by a club, this is a, you know, we've wasted our time. I said, are you kidding me? look what your son is doing it's, it's just like I, I just want to slap him and uh um, you know you say this is about growth this is about development if you grow and you develop and all that takes care of itself mm. now the offers come this is what we tell try to tell our players if you're concerned about the results on saturday afternoon if you're concerned about that contract you might as well go home mm. Because this is not about that. If you do your job, if you're playing, you're picking yourself for the first 11 every week by your training, your training habits are good, you're learning, you're, you're resilient, you're bouncing back from your failures and setbacks, mistakes or setbacks, I agree, and that's don't use failure. But, but if you're bouncing back from that, then the doors open for you automatically. People, say, people search you out. You don't have to be searching for people. Same with the college coaches. They come finding you. They don't have to go out there. I got to send out 500 college letters. What, what for? Hmm. You know, if you're out there and you get a little bit of visibility, they'll find you. And, uh, and so that's, that's a, a, kind of the difference of, you know, where it's, it's easy to say, you know, we, we can win everything in the youth soccer there is to win and still do everything wrong. And for there's a thousand reasons for that, not to mention that the fact that, you know, maybe just simply aggregated all the best talent and nobody has anything left in the area, or you've got a lot of guys that are early matures and physically you're just able to overpower everybody else, win your games, doing everything wrong. And then you have to go back and correct all those mistakes when they get into a professional environment. Oh, you know, I didn't have this problem back. Yes, of course you didn't because you weren't doing it right, you know? And so, but that's just, this is what, we are bringing, and this is what we have to, to uh, in a sense, we have to change the paradigm and change the mindset that it, instead of being, being uh, competitive results oriented, we become learning oriented, and we have to get the players to buy into that because they have to be absolutely know that, that their learning supersedes the results on Saturday, and we have that mindset also with our players that we want to see what we take away from the mass because every mass is nothing more than the laboratory mm. and, and experiments sometimes succeed. Sometimes they don't succeed, but you always learn something. I love that. And I, I mean, it's an investment in yourself and we talk about it all the time. And that was a big thing when we started this journey after college is our mindset was always on just becoming the best player we can be. Everything else will follow. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. And whether that 
that means that we never do wind up getting a big fat contract with a lot of money. That doesn't matter because everything we learned along the way will help us in the future with whatever else we decide to do in our life. Um, and yeah, instilling that as early as possible into, into a young player uh, is hugely beneficial. Now, with that um, going on trials, are you allowed to send these players on trials before they're 18 or how does that work? Oh yeah. Yeah. We've had, uh, we have 41 players in full-time residency from which 22 have already had pro trials. And, and this, this, this defies every logical assumption we would have made going into it. Um, they can, they can trial, uh, they can get on a radar of a club that, you know, they, they can come in and as club would say, look, we really took an interest in this player. Can you have them come in for training for a few days? And of course, we'll send them down we'll observe and we'll find out what they're learning from the situation. But, you know, a lot of times they, they can say, we can't sign you yet, but we want you on our radar. Mm. And we want you to start to fall in love with our club so that you want to sign with us when they're 18. Understand our coaches, understand your potential teammates, get to know them, understand our club culture, and look forward to coming here every month for a, a few days or periodically and say, I can't wait for my 18th birthday when I can sign with this club. Or you might have a player that is so good that the club knows that if they really want to get him, they have to do something now. Mm -hmm. because they say, you know, if, if we don't get them, then somebody else is, and we don't want the other guys to get them. So there's, they can, they can be a pre-contracts, they can give options. And mm -hmm. I know of one option for an American kid that was in excess of 450,000 euros. And, and all that was, was this, the, the right to sign him on his 18th birthday. And if they didn't sign him, the kid made, well, his family, whatever, made 450,000 euros. It's not bad. He committed his signature to that club, and mm -hmm. uh, he did sign, end up signing with them. And um, you know, he unfortunately, I, I think he spent about three years in the development system there, and he never quite really made the breakthrough. But he's still in professional football. Love it. I mean, to piggyback off this segment, we've we've had specific episodes dedicated to trials and trials and tribulations. Um, trials or tryouts as we like to call them in America. So how do you prepare a player for a tryout mentally? What advice and tips do you give them? And what advice and tips would you give those to, you know, older players who are going abroad after college, like we did trying to prove themselves in a foreign setting? Well, well let's start with the younger guys first. Um, first of all, we try to replicate in advance every single day, what they would experience if they went into a club. So we want to be professional. We want to be intense. We have protocols you have to, including greeting everybody and, and, you know, and being very conscious of now I've got to be switched on. And so this, this becomes a habit. So, you know, the, the training itself going into, it's only a matter of being in a strange dressing room on a strange training field, but we replicate the intensity all the time. Secondly, our players are better prepared because they understand, they understand the language, at least the basic football language. They, you know, it depends on how long they've been there, but they're no longer a stranger and they can communicate at a level in, in their language and they understand in most part what the coach is trying to say so and then they also understand the, the tactical nuance and you know particularly over here as you guys probably found out that pressing and counter pressing is it's a big part massive of the German game it's a massive mm. particularly at the at the at the profi level and if and this is a, a system where if one player is too early or too late, 
the other teams are so good, they'll spot it. And three passes later, they're in your box. And so learning and understanding, and this gets down to, you know, the cognitive nuance, the tactical nuance, uh, pattern recognitions, uh, reading visual cues, understanding, uh, you know, picking up on uh, the language of, of time and space. These are really critical elements because if, if they see that the art players understand that, they, they saw one player move into space, the other guy filled in, that's saying this guy's learning curve isn't that high. I mean, is that far from being able to pick up? So they're when when they come from us, they're much better prepared for trials. Now you can be now. Let's go. Let's go to the older guys. And you guys have probably got your. I know you have your own stories about this and your own opinions about that. But a lot of times, guys come in a little bit older and they haven't had the the education, the difference between professional and amateur football. They're not used to the speed of play. They're not used to the language and. Um, maybe they don't understand the protocols of, uh, of, uh, of what it's like to be in a, in a pro environment. Now I can give you an a, a example of this when I was working with one of the pre-talent project groups in Cologne and I had a goalkeeper come in who had been on the under 17 national team and under 20 national team, had three years of experience in MLS already. And he's a very competent pro goalkeeper, 22 years old. And I decided to do a, a favor for a friend who had helped previously get in. And he said, I got a friend. He's really good. Would you help him out? Uh, a goalkeeper. That's all I need. You know, because every, goalkeepers everywhere. Right? And that's hard. But yeah. I said, okay, I'll, I'll get him. I said, get him over here. And I don't have anything specific. But if he's here, mm. he can start training. And then when the phone rings or when someone, I get word that someone's short a goalkeeper, boom, he's ready to go. Get him on a train. He's right there. Well, he'd been there for about a week. And um, I got a call from someone from Schalke and they said, uh, you know, we really need a goalkeeper for the under 23s. And you know, this is a big club and under 23s is playing in the third Bundesliga. And so there is a lot of money at stake with this, this club. So they need this player. And so I said to him, and I'm not going to mention his name, but I said, you know, get in there and try to speak a little bit of German. Do you know any, I can say a few words, say a few words. And so, he said, yeah, okay, okay, okay. So I watched the training and I thought, Phew, he did pretty good. He's got a shot here. I watched the second training session. I thought, I think this guy's got a real shot at it. So after the session, I know after the first session, I said, how did it go? How'd you like us? I loved it. Wow, it's tremendous. I really had a great time. Uh, did you speak any German? And uh, I just made him speak English. I said, well, I said, do you think that's a wise idea? He says, oh, you know, they can all speak pretty good English. You know, I just made him speak English. I said, oh. I don't think it's a really good idea. So why don't you try try it different tomorrow? I said, I'll see what I can do. He didn't. <laughs> so after the session, the coach comes up to me and says, I really like your boy. He's 99% what we're looking for. I said, oh, what? <laughs> 99 is not 100%. So, okay, tell me what that 1% is. He said, he didn't try to speak German. He didn't try to speak a word of German. So we're going to pass on him. We don't want to take a risk that he can't. Uh, communicate with the other players or the coach doesn't want to know he has to explain things twice this this is simply you know I gave my best advice to the guy mm. going in he could have had a contract with Schalke and he probably would have even at that level you know 10 15 20,000 a month is pretty good money for a young guy and yet all he had to do was speak a little German unreal no I just speak yeah go ahead Sean I wanted to ask that. Do you ever at um, 
when you guys are running training sessions, do you ever do it in German? We haven't yet. And as a matter of fact, that's great. That's a, that's a great point, Sean, because I've been butt badgering my coaches to let, we got to start integrating more German into our actual coaching. But the guys, I don't know whether they enjoy speaking English because they're all completely fluent English speakers. And mm -hmm. so because they're speaking German all day, they want to speak English. But that, that's something that we are going to be starting almost immediately is just to start bringing the German into yeah. Because that, I mean, that would, that would certainly help. And just speaking from, from experience, I mean, how is your the, 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 it's good. I can speak fluently, confidently. Um, Dylan. Um, it, um, it's getting there. It's getting there. Okay. That's, that's good. You're trying, you know, I try. Yeah, yeah. no, I definitely try. It's, Did I you have any background, Sean, before you came in or just, no, no, no. I, I came in with literally zero words other than like kindergarten yeah <laughs> kindergarten which wasn't even i didn't even know but uh no i made a point the first trial i had actually was a, a friendly match mm -hmm. i was in germany for maybe two days and uh while i was warming up with the players i was just asking like how do you say man on how do you say time because i'm a center back so i do talk it's a big part of my game how do you say man on time turn left right and just learned all their names and then throughout the whole game, was using the German that I knew. Obviously, saying a very funny, funny accent. But uh, the coach made a point actually to the agent at the time that like he was very impressed with this. That here I am with the players for thirty minutes before the game, and I could speak a little bit of German. I know everyone's name, That's and that made a huge impact. And I think that Dylan and I stress to every player that comes here to do the same. You have to make an effort because you earn so much respect from the players doing it and the coaches, and it looks good. And even if you have to speak English for the, for the rest of the time, they have given you a pass now because you made an effort. That's, that's a, Sean, that's an absolute brilliant point and, and you're spot on with it. And that shows you have character. You have adaptability and they, they wanted to know that you've got that. Uh, that's this player is, he can adapt to us rather than us having to adapt to him. So mm -hmm. that's, that's a super point. And that's really important to, to educate when you're, if you're bringing players over there, they're a little bit older and they're getting in, you know, we, we wanted to create a ramp up so our guys could kind of gradually get that and uh, uh, gradually get into. So, so when that door opens, they're ready mm -hmm. to walk through it. You get a guy cold, cold Turkey and he gets off the plane and all of a sudden he's going for a trial and he might be a really good player, but he doesn't know anything about German football or, mm -hmm. or, or even how to, even the necessity of shaking hands with people and, and greeting them, mm. particularly your coaches when you arrive and they might just perceive you as being antisocial or bad manners or whatever it is immediately. You're, you know, yeah, you're absolutely. And I think we can all agree that German is a difficult language to learn, especially coming from, from American English. It is a different is totally different in terms of structure and verbs and everything, but to know commands on the field is something completely different. You know, we have, we actually, we offer just a free downloadable list on our website of German commands on the field, you know, Hintermann, you know, man on, things like this, just things that you could learn when you're in the US weeks before you come out for a trial, just to learn 20, maybe 25, I don't know how many are on there, commands. You study these, you know these, then you pick them up. You start to pick them up in, in the games and then, it just becomes a level of comfortability. I mean, just knowing that Leo means leave it is something I wish I knew on my first trial here. But, you know, these are things that we try and pass on to, to players who might 
either follow in our footsteps or create their own path similarly. Well, yeah, that's exactly right. And, you, you know, when you're playing in the match, it's a, it's a stressful environment and it's an intense environment. And if this doesn't become second nature, the, mm. you're, you're, you're going you're gonna to get confused and you'll start to exactly. read the comfortable stuff. And then all of a sudden, now you know, you're out. So it's, it's really, really important. Really yeah. Important. That, that was also a big motivation for me in the beginning. Um, it was because I wanted, to, I wanted the, the football commands to be, I don't have to translate it. I hear something and I know exactly what it means because that's just an extra stress you're putting on yourself. And then if you don't understand it, now you have 10 angry Germans, 11 with the coach screaming at you. And you then go into your shell because you don't know what they're saying. You don't understand what they're trying to say or what you're supposed to do. And then, yeah, it's just a downward cycle from there. And I never wanted that to be to happen. Of course, in the beginning, I didn't know every term. And there's some funny stories with me saying the wrong word and then someone correcting me because it sounds very similar. But I mean, you're making an effort. And as time goes on, you learn them. You learn it quickly because in training, if you're training every day of the week, you hear the same words over and over and oh, over. Every again. time. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, it's, it's, it needs to be something that's done over and over. Mm. Yeah. Coming, coming on to a, a more personal level, I mean, just we've talked a little bit about your, your background, which is extensive. You've had your hands in many different types of, of roles in the game. Um, but one is fostering this, this youth talent. So I would just like to talk about the importance of being a mentor, just in terms of how to lead, how to teach and challenge younger players to be the best versions of themselves. Well, a lot of it's just a matter of, first of all, it matters. You know, you understand that it, it mattered to you as we all went through our experiences, as we learned and we had our, our scars and our bruises and our failures and, and all these things that we've had to survive through the years. And you understand what it means to them because they're going through the same journey and it means a lot to them. And so it's mentoring is really just a matter of, of, of helping these young people have perspective but also have the sort of guidance that, that you understand that you went through, the same struggles you went through. I mean, we all went through, every player goes through it. Every player goes through it. I mean, if, if you look at even, you know, you, you think that Messi had an easy pathway, you know, he, he very nearly didn't become Messi mm. or Iniesta, Andre Iniesta. I mean, one of the great stories about Andre Iniesta was that when he came into um, Barca as a, desperately homesick 13 year old and he was only from two hours away so it wasn't like he's getting on a plane and crossing the atlantic and he comes in there and he was so homesick he couldn't eat for for, for almost two months he was just he was crying all night and, and and all this stuff and and in credit to the barca people who really knew how to raise young people and mentor young guys they took care of him one of the things that the academy director there at La Masia did, at Barca did, was that he said, he told his coaches, don't coach him. Don't try to improve him. Just take care of this boy and he's going to be fine. And, and that's an unbelievable story of, of understanding young people. But they had people there that were able to mentor him and who had understood this kid's pain. They, had, they understood what he's going through and they were able to guide him through that. Mm. If he didn't have that, one of the greatest players of our of the last generation wouldn't even exist. Mm. And same with Messi, he wouldn't exist if you didn't have people that were, were, were there saying, let's take care of this kid. You know, let's mentor him, let's help him. Let's understand him as a human being first. 
and then as a football player, so because football will be fine later, he's got the talent. You know, he's got the talent, but if he doesn't have the the person isn't comfortable in his skin, he's never going to be a footballer. So let's do that that part first. So I think that you're right. I think you need you need people around the the the, the players that that really understand young mentalities, understands how they learn, has enough insight to to see what might be you know that might be causing them difficulties or pain or homesickness or whatever it is. But every player needs guidance. Nobody, no player on the planet has ever gotten there without the help of people mentoring them. Yeah, it's a great totally. point. I think it was Nagelsmann who said, I'll get the percentages wrong, but that coaching is 20% tactics and 80% empathy. And I think it just goes to that yeah. saying that, I mean, if you know your players, you'll get the best out of them. And if you know the people around you, you can foster them to be comfortable, like you said, in their own skin. I think that's a great point. Yeah, that's extremely important. Man management is is so critical. I think so. I think a lot of coaches fail because they try to be clever, and they think that because they're you know they're gonna. It's almost like they think they're playing a, like a PlayStation or something like that. And they're manipulating players. And I'm going to be Captain Kirk. You know, get bring it up to warp ten. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> guys, this is people. You know, yeah. get people motivated. Manage the people. The tactics. We can get the tactics right. Of course, that's important. But get the people right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Dylan, I've been uh, very fortunate enough to have mentors that have played uh, professional all over the world. And one thing they taught us was networking and always, uh, you know, being friendly to everyone, especially players, because players you might be on a trial with at their team and some point in the future, they might know someone that could help you out or they think you're a great player and it doesn't work there at their team, but they say, hey, I know someone at this club um, might have an opportunity. Do you teach the players or is this a conversation you have with them on how to uh, we spoke on trials earlier but how to kind of network themselves everywhere they go or advertise themselves everywhere they go well this is about uh, making friendships and in and, and the game having friends is is really critical and a lot of times the most important friends that you make are the ones that you meet in the trenches Mm-hmm. And you know when they're everyone's struggling to go up. You don't know where people are going to end up, but you and you don't know the next guy is in the you know sharing a locker with you or you know sharing a ride to train or something like that. You don't know where they're going to end up. You know, and I I've been extremely fortunate because I've had a lot of experience to meet a lot of people in the trenches that were just like me. We're hungry. We're trying to get ahead, and you know we don't know if we're going to make anything into our lives or anything else like that. But you know one of them became the top guy at Bayern Munich. And the guy was the CEO of the Bundesliga when I was just cutting my teeth in, in, in Germany. And, you know, these are powerful contacts, I would say, you know, but they're just normal guys that and we're all trying to, you know, we're having a beer together and we're, we're talking football and, you know, we're you know, doing our normal young people stuff. And, and, you know, so I think that this is about making friends and being sociable and not being afraid to get out and, you know, sharing experiences with people. Love that. Absolutely. Love how it pertains to your own career too. I mean, the connections are, are endless. Um, so I'd like to get into our fast feet round, but first we just want to know, you know, we want to plug the talent project. We want people to know what they can, you know, where they can find you guys, you know, where they can do more research and what's next for the talent project in terms of, you know, what's coming in the, in the near future and in the far future. So um, if you'd like to go ahead and, and sell the, town project i guess here's the uh the stage well we're we're we're, we're, we've gone from one team to three 
And uh, we're going to have an under 16, under 17, and under 19 team starting in the next season, starting in August. We're about 85% full with our recruitment for next year. But it, we are still looking for some play. We're always interested in, if you see some super talent, we're always going to find space. Mm-hmm. But, uh, talent Project is it's spelled, it's spelled the German way, talent, P-R-O-J-E-K-T.com. And if anyone wants the information, they could find us there or they can search us on Instagram. Our, our social person is doing a great job uh, of getting us into Facebook and stuff like that. And we're, our, our community is growing pretty rapidly on that. So that's what we're doing in the next year. And, and uh, you know, we're, we've got several players going out on pro trials. We're serious about what we do. We try, we, you know, we're not, I, I don't compare us with anybody. You know, we, we, we feel like we have a very unique situation, a unique environment, and we just want to be the best at what we do. We're, we're the only ones to do what we do. We're professional. We're about professional development. And, and we've, we're able to open up doors for young players at an age that is normally restricted to them. Hmm. So uh, we're making a difference in a lot of young players, and we're going to keep on doing it. We're going to keep on doing the best we can. We're going to keep on learning. Love it. And now we're here for our fast street round, some, some quick or quicker fire questions, I should say. So we're going to start with favorite moment. And we're, we're, we'll stick with soccer. So favorite moments when it pertains to the game. Oh, I've got, honestly, I've got too many uh, to talk about. I uh, The NCAA championship in 75 was a favorite moment. Uh, signing my first pro contract was a favorite moment. Uh, you know, I didn't score too many goals, but everyone I scored was a favorite moment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so... <laughs> I've had a lot of favorite moments, so I, it's hard for me to identify one. What about the most difficult moment? Well, there's a whole bunch of them, too. <laughs> every every goal I ever missed, every... Well, let me think. <laughs> Listen, anytime you're putting yourself out there and you're really putting yourself out there, you're going to get your ass handed to you sometimes. Hmm. And uh, there's no no escaping that. And I've had some extremely painful and embarrassing setbacks that I just didn't know if I was going to recover from. So, you know, we could talk about it. They, they helped me get to where we are today. Because when you mm-hmm. recover from them, you realize that, you know, that's not the, the sky isn't falling. It's not the end of the world, even though it might seem it at the time. But it does help develop resilience. So, you know, there's, I, I can't identify one, but I can give you about 50. <laughs> That'll be on part two. We'll just go through yeah. all of the, the most difficult moments. How about best advice you've ever received? Uh, be your own worst judge. Harshest judge. Judge yourself harshly than other people. I don't believe the bullshit uh, that uh, that you're getting from, you know, if you read about yourself in the paper, forget about it. You know, just look for ways to constantly get better. Mm-hmm. What about best player you ever played with or against? Well, the most famous player I played, I played with is Robin Williams, the late Robin Williams. And uh, we both grew up in San Francisco and he was actually quite a good player until he decided to, to completely give up his soccer career to pursue acting. I couldn't, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't understand it. Do such a stupid thing. <laughs> We've had, wow. uh, we had a few players that are, you know, like in the early Lions days, we had uh, Eric Eichmann and Chris Sullivan. They both played for the United States in the World Cup. And there's, you know, there's a, uh, there's a lot of pride in seeing, um, you know, players that you've had in your jersey, you know, playing, representing the United States in the world's biggest competition. Um, you know, we've had a, a few boys seeing Bobby, you know, discovering Bobby as a as a 12 year old in Southern California and then seeing him in the Bundesliga. 
and all the problems that you know he had trying to get through navigating through his the young player issues and stuff like that was really important you know there's you know I've, I've had, you know, again it's but when you go so far down the road it's almost hard to identify any one person or, or mm-hmm. that that uh you've had but you know there's been a there a lot of wonderful successful people i've had the fortune to to be along with favorite book favorite book uh we've gotten we've gotten the last two were harry potter so we're hoping to break it and bring it back no, I'm, I'm not going i'm not going there uh, <laughs> shogun i was probably my favorite book i got totally lost in shogun uh for this is going back a lot. Of, I, I, I am a pretty big reader. Mm. Uh, so I can get lost in a novel or I can read stuff like The Talent Code by Daniel Coyle. I thought it's a must read for any coach. Uh, it should be required reading in, in any coaching uh, circles. I, I study, I'm a big student of Bill Walsh and the way he transformed the 49ers. It's, mm. That's absolutely golden. So I, I read and reread. And so, so a lot of times I got books that I'll, I'll read three or four times because every time I'll glean something different out of it. So love that. I'm making my, making my own personal notes on the side as well. What about a quote that you live by? If you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. I like that. Simple enough. Yeah, I love that. And probably the best question that we'll ask today, favorite German food. Uh, is liquid part of that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Make your own path. Yeah. I love all German food. Uh, probably Schweinhaxe. Love it. Even though I've gone on to a plant-based diet mm-hmm. recently, I, I, I go into these some of these Bavarian restaurants where they, they have the Hoxha and I see them up on people's plates. I go, okay. I'm going to have to give up on this plant thing for a little while. (laughs) (laughs) Just for today. Two hours. Yeah, I completely understand. And I mean, this wasn't on there, but we talked a little bit off air just on some of the the German culture nuances. And sometimes we kind of poke fun at it. But is there anything, I guess, even more positive that you've brought from German culture back to America and your time in America that you've, you know, really appreciated? Well, uh, one of the things I really appreciate about the, the culture here is their attention to detail. You know, they are really, really detail-oriented. Their coaching is detail-oriented. Uh, you know, if you look at how they develop players, there, there's so many little things that they're teaching that completely get overlooked uh, otherwise. That, that my, even in England, in my experiences in England, and I got all my coaching licenses initially from England, but, you know, they, they don't go anywhere, anywhere near the detail that, uh, that, they, that the Germans go through. So that's, that's one of the things. And plus, they're very polite. You know, they have, they're, they're very well-mannered and, and you, you see how the kids act towards adults and mm. you know, always respectful for their coaches and things like that. And um, I think that that's, uh, uh, I think that's really worthwhile to, to integrate into our own culture. They're all, these are just basics, but it's, I think yeah. we overlook, sometimes we overlook the simple things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And notice the same as well. Also saying, saying goodbye six or seven times before you actually say goodbye is always a great one. <laughs> it's hard to leave a party because they, <laughs> yeah. I got to go. Okay. Time, see, like 25 minutes later, they're still talking about something. I'll say okay, yeah. I yeah. the 19th time. Okay. got to go. It's one of the longest goodbyes you ever, a German oh, goodbye right. is the longest. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I love it. So everyone, that was Mark Dillon from The Talent Project. We just want to say thanks again. What a great conversation. Honestly, I think we could have gone for 
another hour or two hours. Um, but there's soccer to be played out here in Germany. So we want to thank you and we look forward to hopefully having you on again in the future. Thanks a lot, guys. I enjoyed it. Take care. I love the work you're doing, by the way, guys. I'm a fan. Appreciate well it. Appreciate it. Another great guest, another great conversation. Um, I mean, just to start off, the one thing that I really liked the way he said, uh, which is we can apply this directly, is like you pick yourself. You mm. pick yourself for the lineup. Mm -hmm. on how you carry yourself and what you do in training every time you get the ball or in the area um, you're picking yourself and it's all on you there's no excuses um, and I think instilling that especially in young players is really important to put all the outside um, distractions not even in the discussion it's you pick yourself and that means you need to be concentrated in every moment and every training session yeah, I, to be honest, I really enjoyed that. I really just enjoyed to hear his take on it. I mean, someone who's been around the game in so many different types of roles. I mean, he mm -hmm. had his 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 hand in being an agent and being a scout and working with youth, youth clubs and working with Ajax and Leverkusen, these giants in the games. I mean, can you think of better youth academies than 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 Ajax? Like, it, it's tough for me to, to come to one that's known as well as Ajax. And I don't know, I, I just really enjoyed hearing what he had to say, just just the 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 ideas that he instills in, in his players and the atmosphere that he's trying to create, the learning experience that he's trying to give. And I, I can imagine it can be quite difficult to kind of explain that. I mean, it's taken almost 90 episodes for us to try and do a, a, a decent job of it. So to and try to explain that to parents, to to players, you know, that this is, this is part of the process and that these are all learning experiences and that, you know, you're growing from these things. And it was, it was just a very good learning experience for me in this podcast, just to, just to hear, you know, this point of view from someone who's been so entrenched in the game. And, you know, um, we offered him a beer off, off camera and I, I hope he's in Hamburg soon because I would, I would love to continue Looking the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's uh We've always spoken about this, like you said, this is the 80, or we don't know when this is going to come out, but over 90 episodes um, with many different guests and that it doesn't always work out where you invest A mm -hmm. and then you get B. Mm -hmm. It, You know, they the parents are investing money in their children to do this. It doesn't mean on the other end of that, they're going to get a contract. Oh, it's not it might guaranteed. mean in 10 years from now, they might do something and they did it because of this experience. Yep. Um, and I, I mean, that's really hard for people to understand, especially if this is totally new to them. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that in life in general, that's that's a really important mindset to have. Yeah. And I think it's some something that, you know, many people in the U.S. can kind of take a lot of these factors that he's implementing into into these programs. You know, that you can always learn from from the meccas. You know, we've talked I think there was a it was back with the episode with Evan. It was just kind of like. What did he say? If you wanted to learn how to cook, you know, you would go, yeah, you go to, to Italy, you go to Italy or, you know, you go to the Meccas, you learn from the, the places who, you know, for lack of a better term, perfected it or, you know, right. mastered it compared to others. So the German system is always self-improving, always self-regulating because they see that they need to get better. You know, they won the World Cup. They needed to get better after that. It's always a constant cycle of this reflection. And I think a lot of American coaches and players can take a lot of the things he says 
And, you know, you guys can listen to Mark. He was on in the 11 pod. We highly recommend that one. Um, shout out to Brendan Griffiths on that one. We, we enjoy listening to that as well. And, you know, there's a lot of things that you can take on, on board. And I mentioned it during the episode that there, for anyone who's traveling abroad, we offer three or four now languages just to get some of the basics down before you enter country. So if you're out trying to come to Germany, there's a, there's a document there that tells you many of the basic commands that you'll need, you know, to, to play at a high level, to kind of let your play do the talking instead of having to focus mm -hmm. and stress about what is being said and having, like Sean said, to self-translate it in your head. No, try and get it as close to second nature as you can. You know, you, there's studying involved in this game, like with anything, you know, you study film, you can study languages as well to, 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 you know, be the best version of yourself and listen and hear what coaches have to say too. Yeah. So yeah. Anything else, Sean? No, that's it. I think that's uh, great advice. And the language thing for sure is a huge piece that we both emphasize to anyone coming over here or really any country you go to that doesn't speak English. Um, yeah. Make, make an effort, make a big effort at it because it, it will help you. Absolutely. So guys get, you know, there's a lot of free stuff on our website still. Keep plugging and passing footwork.club, the official website for all things footwork. Um, we have merch on there. We have free products. We have merch to come. We have a lot of exciting things, a lot of exciting guests coming. And yeah, we're just going to keep on rolling. So, you know, like, subscribe, like we said, all of that free, um, I forgot, what was the word? Free support. Free, free support. support. Yeah, that, thank you, Sean. That free support um, is invaluable to us. It, it really yeah. helps. So if you can leave a review, like a post, all of those things take a second of your time. And, you know, we appreciate every single one of them. So thank you guys. We're going to keep building, keep growing. Yeah. So until next time, keep moving forward, keep learning and make your own path. Cheers. Footwork is sponsored by ourselves and great companies such as Kong Fitness. But we love to partner with new brands to make their own paths, so get in touch if you must. Footwork.club, the official footwork website is now live, so make sure you go join the club and check out all the new content and all the new features. Find us on YouTube at Footwork Podcast. You better like and subscribe while you're there. If not, I don't know what to tell you. Find us on Instagram at Footwork underscore podcast. Great time there. Twitter at Footwork Podcast. TikTok at Footwork Podcast, where we like to post dance videos those are great but more importantly amazing content for any dream chasers out there plug plug pass tell your friends your enemies your mother your brother your sister your pastor it doesn't matter who tell the mailman your dog anybody that can listen like subscribe review because all of that helps while you're there we'll take whatever we can get to join the club join the club he messed yes. me up i mean he can just he can just mash it together so it's fine <laughs>